Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you so much for joining us on the program today. As a reminder, I like to tell you every time that we're here Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com, as well as the podcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and many other locations uh, that... Um, you folks are reposting to and hey thanks for doing that i i'm a one-man band okay i'm the host and i'm the producer and i'm the editor and any other title that i can come up with and uh, i can't get around to all of the all of the podcasting sites so thank you for doing that i greatly appreciate that we are also now on youtube speaking of one man band i'm also the video editor of those podcast of those video casts so that you folks can see these programs see our guests and myself included and uh, enjoy that particular aspect. Uh, Cause I know that there's so much more. Uh, th- it's like when, when I am able to have guests in studio, which I used to be able to do um, the energy was so much different. Mm-hmm. So now it's so we can see each other at least. So at least we have that aspect. To it. So uh, now you can see us on YouTube. Richard Dugan is the, uh, is the, is the uh, channel. And just look for the man with the black hat. I also want to encourage you to go to our guest website. We'll be giving that website to you shortly so that you can continue your evolutionary process. And we also would like for you to uh, participate in the decade of perfect vision, the 2020. We started out the decade with the year of perfect vision, 2020. And now we're asking you to spend time over the next nine years going within. We hope it doesn't end there, but at least spend the next nine years going within, getting in touch with that still small voice, listening to the promptings of your higher self, whatever you want to call it, and find that quiet, peaceful, still, calm place where you can rejuvenate, re-energize, relax, calm yourself, uh, refocus your energy. At in, in intention on that which is important to you. And also, if this program resonates with you and you'd like to support us financially, we would love to have your help. Uh, we have a PayPal account for your security as well as ours. And uh, any amount is greatly appreciated. And we thank those who have helped us and those who will help us down the road. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Our program today, I think you are going to enjoy. I know as I was reading through some of the materials uh, that uh, when I have a chance to do so, I do. Uh, And I have looked forward to this interview. Uh, We're going to be talking about Catherine's Quest. I love that that title, the the word quest. I think it's great. Uh, And a matter of fact, one of my guests, we were chatting about this. You could have called it so-and-so's journey or sojourn or, you know, travels. And they said, well, I kind of like, you know, the old uh, Arthur and the round table kind of thing where they went on the, their quest. I thought, I love the word. Oh, it's great. You know, of all of the Q words, I've had enough of quantum. Okay. Get it out. <laughs> Let's go on a quest. I think it's a lot of fun. Catherine's quest is the subject of the title of the book and uh, Pat Alva Cracker is my guest, and thank you so much for joining us on the program. Richard, it's a pleasure to be here, and I love uh, your intention of your program of just totally connecting 
uh, from within, especially during these times and, and really the stories that you provide that inspire uh, your listeners to really take that step and connecting with each other. That's fantastic. Great mission. Well, you've done that. Uh, there is, and, and I don't have it in front of me uh, because uh, I am actually sitting in my home uh, up on the hill here in Santa Barbara, up in rural Santa Barbara in the Los Padres National Forest. And uh, so the book, it just happens to be at the radio station about uh, 10 miles away. Uh, this, because the subtitle, thank you very much for showing that. It's also down there. Tell us what the subtitle. I'm sorry, repeat your question, Richard? Of the book, Catherine's Quest. You broke is, up. There, is there a subtitle? Yes, One Woman's Journey to Relation. Now, when we talk, uh, we like to define terms, okay? And though we have done many programs exclusively geared towards the male of the species and the female of the species, uh, it's never to leave the other out that we're not actually talking about. There's always that connection. That's not where I'm going to ask for a definition. Elation, yes. as opposed to bliss, joy, fulfillment. Why elation? Elation for me means beyond happiness. Oh. It's the feeling that you have inside when you go out and swim with the dolphins where you have your grand, your first grandchild, your first child, when you land that dream job that you thought you never would, the dream home that you want, it's that level of happiness and goosebumps and just this thrill of happiness within you that we experience and can experience every day if we choose to. Hmm. Now, no one has ever used the word elation. In, in all of the interviews, interview, you're the first. And I find that the definition, that's a wonderful definition. That's a wonderful goal for us to work towards. Um, another one of my favorite words, which sort of goes along with this, because you want to achieve this elation by virtue of taking into your being those things that are of, of significance and meaning to you. And the other word that I love that I got from the book, Stranger in a Strange Land, was the word grok. Now it's a Martian word, okay? Because it's a science fiction story about Martians. Uh, and you're gonna have to read the story folks to find out what that's about. I love the story, but the word grok means to basically, as I interpret it, to assimilate into the subatomic particles of every cell of your being, you know, into your soul, uh, mind, body, and soul, if you will. And uh, so, so it just seems to me that one of the aspects that we strive for through this program is to move from where most of us are, not just in this country, but around the world, from a place of survival mm -hmm. 
place of thrival, which, by the way, I thought I had created. And then I found it in the dictionary. <laughs> thrival was not mine, but that's okay. Uh, I'm thankful that I tapped into Webster and, and all of that good stuff. But isn't that really what we're talking about here is, is it, for example, in this story, we're, we're trying to reach that place where we can truly enjoy our lives. Tell us, tell us about how you came to that. Uh, I totally agree with you that it is a, a, a point where you can truly in, enjoy your life and actually embrace the journey that you're on. And <clears throat> because it is sacred. I absolutely feel that everybody's journey is sacred. And there were two you know, pivotal events in my life that really um, woke me up, shook me up. Uh, it was a wake up call. Uh, and those were uh, breast cancer and the early death of my husband. And both of these situations uh, were a calling for me to go within, mm. to go within and, and connect and figure out what's working right and what's not working right. So uh, in my breast cancer journey, which is 26 years ago, I figured out that um, I was giving from an empty cup, that I was an overgiver, and that I gave to everyone first before I gave to myself. And in that process, I became sick and learned that it's important for us to be able to fill our cup and do self-care if we are going to thrive. Mm. And that uh, and when these circumstances come in, and they happen to us, they happen for a reason, I understand that. And that I had total responsibility of whether I was gonna heal myself or not. And whether I was gonna come out on the other side as a stronger and more aware and awake human being. And I chose to step into that role and really embrace it. And I began to become more aware. I began to meditate. I began to connect with my higher self, listen to my higher self and trust the process. One of the elements of that aspect of higher self, and I joke about it now, I used to be serious about it and I calmed myself down. And that was, I, I used to joke with people and say, you know, if, if you're going to listen to your higher self, but not follow the promptings, why bother listening? Exactly. Yeah. Totally agree with you. And I, I, I've lightened up on that because just as there are those who have been diagnosed with a certain condition who know how to reverse it they don't because they haven't developed the willpower or maybe they don't fully understand the dynamics if they don't and so they just keep going down that same road that got them to the diagnosis and i speak of course first from personal experience uh, because i was diagnosed in july of 2020 with type 2 diabetes Okay. And I was in shock for about 30 minutes. And of course I told my doctor, I said, uh, you know, okay, I, I get you. And I know what caused it. And he of course says, Oh, you know, Richard, this is going to be a long journey. You know, it's going to take some time, you know, 
you know, six months to a year, whatever, you know, and da, 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 And of course asked me, uh, what's your goal? You know, and I said, well, my goal is to get my blood sugar back down where it was. And when I told them that it was the pandemic that caused the increase in blood sugar, I said, it's because we switched from what we were eating. And by the way, my blood sugar was fairly normal before the pandemic. We went to comfort foods. Now, they tell you when you go to the grocery store, shop at the ends and the, okay? Because if you shop in the middle, you're getting all the processed foods, the carbs and the sugar and the salt and all of the stuff that really doesn't benefit you. And that's what we were doing. And as soon as I made the shift back, I had my blood sugar down to normal in less than two months. Wow. A1C is back where it belongs at 5.7 as of the 1st of November, 2020 has stayed there. Now I made the commitment to my wife that I would not drink sodas anymore. Mm -hmm. Haven't had one since July 23rd, 2020. The day before my diagnosis, which is the reason why it was so high the next day. <laughs> <laughs> so you were so aware. There's, there's, there is, uh, what is the word? Uh, willpower. Willpower. Mm. Now, there have been lots of uh, studies and research and people doing different things that uh, deal with cancer. And you and I, Similar um, stories, not that I've had cancer, mind you. My wife, 19, 20 years ago, was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer. Went through chemo, surgery, and then chemo. Has been free ever since. But also with some of the research that we both did, we found there were certain foods that, you know, you ought to stay away from this and that and the other thing because they may contribute to. Um, yours was 26 years ago. Yes. Uh, this was sort of infancy of the internet and Googling stuff. Doing yes. Uh, so how did you, because there must have been that first emotional uh, period where you're just you're you're you've just you're you're in shock right yes you're actually in shock right I, I was I was in shock sitting in my bed learned that I had cancer and I was shocked and definitely cried and uh, uh, all the feelings of fear came in am I going to be able to make this uh, am I going to die? And then I made a decision that, you know what? I mean, cancer's not going to kill me. So when did you, how long did it take for you to make that shift from your emotions driving you forward or holding you to your, your, your intellect saying, I'm going to do something about this. This is not, this is not the end for me. I've got two more so on and so forth. And, you know, that's an interesting question. Um, after we uh, left the hospital and I was given the diagnosis of cancer, we had a, a, about an hour drive home. And during that entire hour, I just was processing 
everything that just happened. And I said, I either am going to give into this situation or I'm going to take responsibility for this situation. And by the time I got home, I had decided that um, I was going to take full responsibility and start healing myself. Now, Richard, I did go down the, the chemo and the radiation path, and I decided to um, add alternative medicine. So like you said, the, you know, the internet wasn't there. I just bought all these books. I went and became a Reiki master. I learned ar about aromatherapy. I changed my diet. And I said, I'm going to take control of this. I'm going to be responsible for healing myself, and I will do it. Now, there is no guarantee mm -hmm. that what we do is going to, mm, I want to say solve the problem, but actually, uh, um, and by the way, welcome to the club. I too and my wife are both Reiki masters. Oh, great. Things that we learned about Reiki was that, the, that it, our intent was irrelevant. Our intent needed to be, we send this energy to this person for whatever they want to use it for. It's like I give this carpet, I give this individual a hammer. You can do whatever you want with it, mm -hmm. but I give you this tool. Yeah. Um, did that create any kind of a, an issue for you in terms of your cancer? Because... Obviously, we as Reiki masters, uh, we can give ourselves Reiki. We can give ourselves that energy for whatever we choose to do. Uh, my my father's brother used it to finish some work around his home and have a closing period of time with his son, and then leave, depart, uh, you know, transition uh, instead of choosing to continue on and choosing to live. Uh, so, so talk to us a little bit about uh, the decision you made, because it, it, I suppose it would have been very easy. And I say suppose because I haven't had those uh, uh, death-like experiences yet. Uh, my wife has, and she made the decision, the choice to live. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about that process of coming to grips with wanting to live or die i i believe that when the physical aspect of cancer manifests that there really has been an underlying spiritual story that's needed to be healed i i believe that's where it starts and there was a time where I had to really sit back and ask myself the questions, what, what is it from this experience that, that I'm supposed to learn? And am I willing to learn that lesson to be able to move on and live? Or am I going to ignore the message and have something else remind me of what the, what the lesson is that I'm to learn? And when I began to really connect with myself and understand uh, the spiritual lesson, um, I began to really learn that I get, I get to choose. 
I've really learned that I get to choose. So I get to choose whether I live or I get to choose whether I die. And I will set my intention because I believe in intentions and I will let that go and know that what is ever in my highest good is gonna happen. And it became, you know, I learned, you know, I became and got in touch with that because I chose to go within. And in that, and in that time, spirits started sharing and opening up uh, the lessons and I was open to listening. And it was through those conversations that I made a decision. So this may sound like a strange question, but from your perspective, your experience, your observation, what's in there? What? <laughs> what's in there? Oh my God. Love. Love mm. is in there. And if we open ourselves to love and listening to love, then we live in and through love. And we, we just have to make a decision to open up and connect with that because that's really who we are. That's truly believe, that's what I truly believe that we are, is that we are love. Talk to us about Catherine's quest. Is this, uh, is this in any way, shape or form autobiographical? There are some elements of it. You know, she did uh, lose her career and I lost my career. She lost her marriage. Um, I lost my marriage through my husband. So she had challenges, I had challenges that brought me to the same point she was at, which is a point of despair, hopelessness, knowing that there's, there had to be a better way to move from where Catherine was to coming out on the other side, a stronger, spiritual, more awakened being. And the story does include aspects of my life. And the story as it evolves, you know, some would describe it as a parable, some as a fable. And you know, Catherine ends up learning a lot about herself and all the possibilities when she picks up finds a journal of her uncle Iman and he starts going on his path to elation because he wanted to experience beyond happiness. And he, she went to seven islands and each island was an ampli amplification of a specific value or trait. And so what I did in the story is out of all the lessons that I learned from the cancer, from losing my job, from the early death of my husband, I took a subset of those spiritual lessons and I wrote them into each chapter based on a specific value that would lead you to beyond happiness. Catherine's Quest, One Woman's Journey to Elation. I love the word. Uh, Pat Alva. A Craker is my guest talking about her work, the work that she's doing. She is a, 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 a business feminine catalyst. Love the word catalyst. Uh, I use that word in some of the questions that I ask. You're also a speaker and a coach. Your website is majesticcoachinggroup.com where people can uh, find out more about uh, who you are and what you're all about. And we certainly hope people will uh, endeavor to uh, find out more about Catherine's, uh, Catherine's journey, which reminds us of what we need to recapture to live fully and vibrantly. So to that end, 
let's put it in this context. From your perspective, as the not just the author of Catherine's Quest, but as a coach, a feminine catalyst, what have we lost? And when did we lose it? Most of the women uh, that I work with and where I started really my coaching was in uh, two male-dominated fields, in IT and in engineering. And what I learned is that in the company culture, there are certain values that we embrace and that we want our employees to embrace. And in those two industries, it's really about the data and the analytics and the numbers. And what we lost in the process is the fact that we have a strong intuitive sense that we have a gut feel that we can rely on what we feel in here to make decisions. And so we've been living in this company culture that only values one side of us. And in order to assimilate, we start burying that intuition, that sense of connection, that higher self, that gut feel to fit in. And we lose it then. Once they feel that they've kind of programmed, if you will, they programmed us to survive in this environment. And we lose that sense until you get to a point where you say, this isn't working for me, which is what happened to me. Because I realized that I was not really bringing all of who I am into my job because it wasn't being valued. The strong sense of intuition, the feminine side of me, all of that, all of the person and all the gifts were not really being utilized in the company. And I felt like I was um, really um, not giving my best in my job because it, it wasn't, I wasn't being honored as uh, a person, uh, as a whole person. And until we see, you know, those changes of honor that we are not only analytical, but we also are spiritual, we are also um, intuitive, and we start integrating these two aspects of ourselves in the way we run our companies, we're not going to make that shift. And we need to make that shift. And that seems to happen. And in this case, as you speak of the workplace, even if the workplace is filled with women. Uh, I've, I've seen it in a workplace where there's a female supervisor and the majority of the supervisees are female. And there are people there who've been there a year, five years, 10 years, 15 years. And the person who's been there 15 years is never asked their opinion. They go to the person who's been there a year or five years as if that person, not to say that they couldn't have the answer to uh, or have uh, uh, that knowledge base, but the person with 15 or 25 or 50 years of experience, how are you, how are you not tapping into that? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You make a good point. And I don't have all the answers. I mean, I'll be the first one to admit, I do not have all the answers. There is, there is somebody out there that is smarter than I am about some of this stuff. Somebody out there with the same years who is not. And I hope to be able to help that person who is not 
as well as glean from that person who is. Yes. Uh, and I don't want to hold on to what I know. Because if I hold on to it, I don't get to grow. I don't get to move forward. Mm-hmm. This goes on even within, shall we say, female-dominated workplaces and situations. Yeah. And because of the fact that that's the way the system has been set up, yeah. was originally set up by males, and that yes. women have the opportunity yet to transform it. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. Okay. Mm-hmm. About what it means to be a feminine catalyst. What does it mean to be a feminine catalyst? Mm-hmm. Yes. It means that you um, open the door. You open a door of potential for women. So what I do is I open the door for women to step into their potential. And when they're ready to step in is to facilitate that mind, body, and soul growth within them and be able to step and make a bigger impact in their lives by being able to be the guide by, by, the, by their side, if you will, to help them um, grow in those three ways and facilitate that growth. How long have you been said catalyst when you- yeah i've been i've been working with women probably the majority of my uh, my career so 30 35 years i uh, started working with women and becoming the catalyst because what i saw in the male dominated field is there were a lot of women that were not given the opportunities to move up in the company a lot of the, the management roles were being given to men and, and many times I was one of the few women in meetings and in events and so forth. And when I found women, I'd you know, befriend them, start having a conversation, and I'd say, what do you want to do in the company? And help them get that clarity. And I would, uh, I would do the ask, can I help you get there? Can I help you get there? Can I help you create a career path? And and help you get to where you want to go. And began to facilitate and become a catalyst way back when, not really knowing at that time that what I was doing was really coaching. And since then, my passion has been to move forward and and have them succeed and move up to uh, their desired roles in companies and make a difference and bring in the female perspective um, into corporations and have them have a seat at the table. And that's what my passion is. so I've been doing it pretty much all my adult life. One of the things that I've also learned uh, uh, about, uh, shall we call it, and I'm going to use this in the general sense, the women's movement. You're part of that in your own way. Yes. It's not not an attempt to take over. It's an attempt to equalize the playing field. It's not attempt to usurp or subjugate men or come down on them because a lot of us myself included i didn't have any control over the way this system is but i do have control over the way it is when i am hiring and i have to tell you that in my early days as a manager i wanted to hire women before i wanted to hire men because we got what we were doing they understood it 
more so because the guys, their egos would get in the way. Uh, I even had some guys who said, no, 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 I, I'm not cleaning the toilet. You, you, know, I, you guys don't pay me enough to clean the toilet. And it's like, excuse me, I'm the manager. I clean the toilet, okay? And if I clean the toilet, you clean the toilet. Uh, they but women, and I also wanted diversity of voices. I didn't want all the voices on the radio doing commercials and so forth. I wanted to have that diversity, if you will, that mix that, that set us apart from any other station because we were using other voices, not just a bunch of male voices. Of course, before I started hiring uh, the females, I had to do voices, so I had to make up characters. Uh, but um, it, it seems to me as if um, the, the, the problem we've got right now is, I mean, there's a, there is a, an upside in our current 21st century that there are a lot of men who understand, okay, what women are going through and want to support them and assist them. I, hey, I have four sisters and one brother, okay? So I grew up in a more matriarchal kind of system as a family, uh, which, by the way, appeals to me more so than the patriarchal system we've had. But uh, I want to see everybody succeed, male and female, but not at the expense of someone else. And I'm still trying to understand, Pat, I'm still trying to understand how a company can hire a male and a female for the exact same job and pay the woman less. I, I, I don't understand that. They're doing the same freaking job and she's probably doing it better than he is. Yeah, that is very frustrating. It was very frustrating for me. It makes uh, no You know? Yeah, it's a bummer. We're Where still there. The concept for Catherine's quest come from i mean as you said there are certain elements in the book that are sort of autobiographical and i get that but when did you finally say you know i need to put some of these ideas uh, into a book right thank you uh i appreciate that question uh definitely when i was going through my journey of of cancer and, and being laid off and when my husband passed away um I, because I started to going, going within and I did so much studying about practices and, and taking, really listening to the whispers, I started documenting everything that I did and what worked. And I would take a subset of those lessons and practices and I would actually invite my clients to try them on for size. And as they took those practices and were consistent about applying them and I saw the transformation in them, I had to ask myself, this is valuable and this needs to be given to more women. What would be the next step in getting this out to a bigger audience? And that's where, that's where the book came, is I wanted to make a bigger impact versus one-on-one -on -one or in small groups. And for me, it was, let's put the book out and let's take the best of the best and put it out there for women. Not a big book either. It's not a long. Book. No, it's not a long book. It's less than a hundred pages, and uh, your listeners can actually download a first the first chapter for free, and they'll just go to Majestic Coaching Group, 
Com and click on Catherine's Quest and they can get the first chapter and uh, can get a taste of the book. And that's how pushers do it. They give you just a little taste <laughs> and then they, they hook you and now you can go buy the book and there's nothing wrong with that at all. We do that with eggs. We have chickens and uh, we'll give a dozen or two free and then it's uh, $3, $4 a dozen after that. And they're organic too. So, but uh, you know, we're not trying to make money off of the eggs. We're just trying to uh, offset the cost of the feed, which. Uh, I love that. Well, my husband and I used to have a 200 acre ranch and we had uh, domestic and exotic animals. And I definitely loved the chickens and the uh, being able to eat, you know, fresh eggs every day. So uh, I miss that. We love sitting in inside the chicken run. We have a bench in there. Mm -hmm. Uh, we'll sit down there. I'll have my beverage. She'll have her glass of wine and we'll sit there. The chickens will jump up on our knees. She's actually had one jump up on her head. <laughs> um, I love it. Incredible. And having animals around, period. Period. Uh, it's so, so important. I it is. They, they were very healing for me, for sure. Uh, the, the two favorite animals for me were the, the uh, donkeys and the potbelly pigs. And they were part of my healing process because I had to become very intimate with the animals in order to be able to see if they were healthy or not. Uh -huh. And be able to go in and observe them and see how, what, what are their, what their feet look like? You know, are they eating? You know, uh, what are their, are their eyes? Do they have that spark in their eyes? And so I would just get in the middle. I would just get in the middle of the donkeys and then they would just come and surround me and mm. cocoon me. And it was such a healing experience that uh, I will never forget. So they showed me the importance of community. And the potbelly pigs showed me the importance of intuition because potbelly pigs are very, very intuitive. And I would see it in them when we would, uh, I would have someone who wanted to buy wow. an animal. Yeah. Well, we have uh, five chickens at this time. We used to have a flock of 20 to 30, maybe oh, more. Nice. And uh, we also had a peahen, who was sort of the, the, the guard, you know. Uh, but we, we have five now. We have five cats. We have one dog. And then, of course, we have all of the various uh, wild critters that uh, roam the property that we're on. It's not a sanctuary, per se, but we've had um, you know, incredible uh, numbers of different diversities of birds. Uh, we've had a bear up on the property, um, which was not a scary thing for me uh, because an intent on bothering the bear but there he was and um, I remember uh, I was actually taking care of the chickens in the chicken run at the time and I had to go up to uh, take care of something at the garbage cans and I heard this rustling in the bushes and I stopped and I looked over in that direction and all of a sudden the bear sort of looked up looked at me and then went back to eating the plums and, and uh, uh, what have you off of the trees and I took care of my business and I went back to the chicken run and my wife comes out and she says, what's going on? I says, oh, I just saw a bear up the hill. I'm just nonchalantly. I saw a bear up the hill. No big deal. I want to see the bear. Okay. All right. Let me finish over here. So she's already heading down the road and I follow her. We go up there and we hear the rustling and say, yeah, over there. And we just stand and head up, looks at us and apparently was a rather annoyed because he walked around the bushes he walked across the dirt road on the property to the main road and walked away as if to say, 
look, this was a private dinner. <laughs> you know, and I'm not going to stick around here if you're going to be here. Um, great. Uh, we didn't feel threatened and we weren't threatening the bear. And, you know, that's one of the things that I find so interesting about human beings is that because of our prejudging of for uh, for whatever the reason we prejudge them, we put up these emotional walls that the other person picks up on, even if they're not conscious, and then their walls go up, you know? And then we can't we can't communicate. We can't coexist, you know, and here we are in 2021, uh, the 21st century, the decade of perfect vision, and we are having one heck of a time communicating with one another. What are some of the lessons you have learned that you teach about how to get beyond those walls that we put up, um, how, to, how to put down the shields, so to speak, and, and uh, start to genuinely communicate, not believe everything the other person is saying, but understand, try to genuinely understand where another person is coming from. Right, right, right. I totally agree with you that uh, it's uh, seek to understand first, more than anything else, I would, you know, for me, it's, it's uh, three things. It's accept where the person is on their journey. Accept where the person is on your journey. Everybody's on a different journey, coming in with different belief systems, different experiences, different skill sets. And if we accept that we are all on our own journey and embrace our own specific journey, then we're, we tend to, uh, not judge and just accept the person where they're at and meet them where they're at. So mm. accept the person where, on their journey where they're at and, and honor that they're on a different journey and I'm on a different journey, you're on a different journey, Richard. So there's no sense in judging your journey versus mine. It mm -hmm. doesn't help us to do that. Uh, the second would be is to have compassion is to be the first one that shows compassion to the other person because we really don't know what that other person is going through. And when we begin with compassion, that really just kind of tears down the wall. And to any time that we have an interaction with someone is to be intentional about lifting them up. That it's not about putting that person down. It's like, what can I do to lift that person up in their lives at this point in time? I'm in front of them. I'm interacting with them for a reason. So I get to make, a, I can make a difference in their life and lift them up. And so I do that. Pat Oliva Craker is my guest. She's the author of Catherine's Quest. We certainly hope that you will uh, go to her website, which uh, we're going to give that to you again here so that uh, you, uh, you can uh, certainly understand uh, more of what we're talking about. Again, it's Catherine's Quest, One Woman's Journey to Elation. And the website is Majestic. I, I love the title of your website, Majestic Coaching Group. Uh, and that's .com. Mm -hmm. I'm curious as to how 
and why you came up with using words are have power. Okay. I that throughout these programs all the time. Words have power. So be careful or choose your words carefully. Uh, you use the word elation in the subtitle of the book. You use the word quest in the title of the book, which I, after talking with this other guest, I'm going, I, I, that's fantastic. Why majestic? I mean, it sounds so powerful. It, it is a powerful word. And it, I believe that that's who we are. I think we're majestic human beings. And the fact that I have an, an opportunity to work with women and have an impact and in, have them see how majestic they are is something that makes my heart sing. So it's about the transformation that I provide and what I honor in that person is that they are a majestic human being. And that's how I came up with Majestic. That's wonderful. Majesticcoachinggroup.com is the website. Catherine's Quest uh, and uh, A One Woman's Journey to Elation. Uh, again, another wonderful word. It's the first time I have heard it used, especially in this con context. Uh, and uh, that's what we're, we're striving for. Give us, uh, yeah, I, just be, I asked you at the beginning of the interview, I'm going to ask you again, tell us again the definition as you see it of the word elation. So elation is beyond happiness. Ooh. It is that feeling that you feel in your heart that makes your heart sing. It's that those goosebumps that you get in your body when you see something, when you see a, a rose that has just bloomed that the night before was closed. Mm. It's the dog that comes to you that loves you unconditionally and puts her paw on your leg. And I've got one that licks my face, licks my beard. And that's what he says. Hello. Good to see you. And just goes nuts. Then he goes say, says hello to my wife, uh, mama, and then comes back to me and licks my beard again. <laughs> and, you know, it's just, I, I got to tell you, it's, um, he'll jump up on the bed. We're talking about a hundred pound black king shepherd who jumps up on the bed. And we'll get him to lie. Down. He'll lie down with his head towards us in the pillow. And then he goes nuts on my beard again. Uh, and I let him do it. I know that uh, I've heard different things about, you know, you shouldn't let your dog lick your face because blah, blah, blah. Almost along the way. You don't know where it's been. Oh, yeah, I know where it's been. Okay. And I'm not worried about that. Life goes on. Okay. Um, so, yeah, you're absolutely right. And even with our cats, uh, it's the same kind of thing. I've got three cats who sleep against me every night. Uh, one that I call my surprise cat. Surprise kitty. Why? Um, and tan cat. His name is Ryan. He's a kitten. My wife brought him home after taking the other foster kittens back to the foster shelter to be adopted out. He comes walking out from under the table and I'm saying, wait a minute. You were supposed to take them all back. What's the word? Well, I brought him home for you. Really? Okay. So I call him my surprise kitty. He's, he's big. He's a big boy. But he he lays on my lap when I'm sitting in the bed. 
he lays on my chest if I'm laying down or if I'm on my side, he will come and he will lay up against me. Uh, and then the other two cats that we have, the other males, do the same thing further down. You know, reading animals, and you said you experienced that intuitive aspect to the hot belly pigs. Um, it has been said through studies that certain that animals help your physical health, uh, lower your blood, and so forth. And in my case, with being diagnosed a few years back with high blood pressure. Uh, not, not a bad idea to have all these animals around. But one of the keys I have found, this kind of goes to your description of understanding one another. My, if, you, if I want to put it this way, my job with the dog is not to get the dog to do what I want it to do. Now, there are times when, yes, please lay down, sit, you know, come that kind of thing. That's one thing. But when the dog does something or is not obeying your command, there's a reason. And my job is not to get him to obey my command at that point. My job is to understand the reason why he's behaving the way he is. I agree. That same rule applies to human beings coexisting in you know small space like like many of us are having to do these days because you know we're told we can't go to work because the virus the pandemic the this the that matter of fact this was rather funny um a comedian was telling a joke about this snowstorm that was rolling through uh the eastern part of the country and they were everybody was being told to stay home because of the snowstorm and he's making the joke Oh, I don't know if we can do that because I'm not sure we can handle being being locked in our homes because we have to stay stay home because of the snow. That's funny. About that, in terms of uh, intent, instead of getting people to do what we want, we, um, we 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 work to try to understand why they are the way they are. I, t I totally agree. And I think this, uh, the pandemic has uh, put us in a position to really be aware of our family, our friends, our spouses, <clears throat> so, you know, our kids, and really learn about them and understand them where in many cases, you know, when you went to the brick and mortar, you lost that sense of understanding and observation. And families are becoming really closer. And for me, I think of every, the, the pandemic as a divine conspiracy. <laughs> Careful now. <laughs> because what, what are the messages that we're being told? Go inside. Stay inside. Go inside. Go inside. Here. Yeah. You know, you know, you you have a very good point. And someone shared this metaphor of the virus. If you take a look at the molecule that they show on TV all the time, you know, the representation. Mm -hmm. and the reason why it's called the coronavirus is because it has all those little crowns on it. So they got thinking, well, those are crowns depicting royalty okay 
so not not a monarchy, mind you, but you know, it's it that was the significance that they were coming up with was that here is this this virus, yes, that it is dangerous to many, many people. And sadly, we've you know, here in the States already we've surpassed the three hundred ten thousand and headed towards four hundred thousand. Of, you know, and, and who knows how many more are going to lose their lives. But at the same time, here is an opportunity for us to take a look and take it seriously. I mean, when you see someone wearing a crown, you, you kind of, you look at them a little differently, right? Yes. Have a, a different respect and maybe even admiration. And I'm not saying to admire and respect the virus. Okay? Don't, don't get me wrong. I've even, I tried to make the joke uh, that um, how do we know that this isn't some kind of an intelligent, uh, there's not some kind of intelligence here. Exactly. You know, directive when you need it. Okay. How do we know that it's not trying to communicate with us? Uh, has anybody tried? Um, but setting that, side, setting that aside, trying to lighten the mood a little. What if we were to look at it from the standpoint of, there is something that it's trying to tell us how important and how valuable we are, how precious we are, mm -hmm. oil we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Talk to us. Uh, I, can I go into the area of the loss of your husband? Sure. First question I have for you in that regard is, was there an initial feeling of abandonment. How dare you leave? Yeah. Um, my, my husband had um, heart conditions that the doctors told him, you should go in and have your heart repaired. You need stints. You're not well, your heart's not well and needs healing. And my husband chose not to listen to that advice. I firmly believe that my husband was ready, was ready to leave. And it was frustrating and it did anger me to see initially his decisions of not wanting to take care of himself. And I had to make a decision, either I'm going to stay mad about the situation and it's going to affect the way our relationship unfolds going forward, or I am going to accept his journey. I'm going to accept the journey that he's on and just take care of him the best I can, honor his journey and not be mad because his journey is not the one that I want him to be on. So it took a lot every day to say, he's on his journey, he's made his own decisions. This has already been, you know, worked out, you know, this is part of his path and I'm either gonna be mad about it or I'm going to accept it and just love him for as long as I can because you can't live with heart conditions, you know, for an extended period of time. So I'm either gonna embrace where I'm at and love him or I'm gonna stay mad and I didn't wanna stay mad premise of my book choices and it starts out by uh, a quote i made to my wife in um, august 
of 2001, prior to her going into surgery to have the cancer removed. And I asked her this question, this pointedly. I said, do you want to live or do you want to die? I it, whatever it is. Now, that is not an easy statement for everyone to make. You actually, by your actions, you did ask that question and you did, you made the choice that you were going to honor his choice. Yes. You didn't have to like it, but you right. could see. Um, that's where we all are in a position to make a choice. And I honestly believe, uh, Pat, I don't care where you are in life, whether you're, let's say, in a nursing home or you're in prison, you always have choices. Yes. Let's bring up the example of Nelson Mandela. Oh, my goodness, yeah. Ponder this very thing. And made the choice to go a different direction that took him down the path to the presidency of South Africa. Mm-hmm. Now that's amazing that a, a felon could become president of the country. I don't think you can do that here in the United States. I'm not sure. <laughs> I that closely, but you know, it, it, we always have choices. The question is, do we know that we have those choices? And do we know what choices we have? How do you educate people to begin to look for other alternatives that they've never considered before? How do you educate people in that regard? Mm -hmm. I think there's a key question, and I, I, I totally agree with you that um, we're always at choice. And that's one of the main uh, lessons in my book is that we are always at choice. And and when when I work with women, they make a decision that this is the way. The question that I say, do you think you have another alternative? Is there another alternative? What would another alternative be? Right. What's another way? looking at this so that they start seeing that they have more than this one choice that's right in front of them. We just have to ask them the question to invite them to open up their perspective. I know that there are women in abusive situations and they also have kids. They don't think they have any choices. Because am I going to, because if I leave him, I don't have, I'm not working. I have no money. What are the kids? How are the kids going to eat? And it's almost as though, we immediately put up the obstacles, the reasons why we can't make those choices. Mm-hmm. Is there a technique that you have used to get people, women as well as men, to sort of get out of their own way in that regard and say, hey, I realize there are all these obstacles that I'm putting up there, but this isn't necessarily a bad thing. Maybe there's someone out there I can turn to. Maybe there's an organization whether it's an abusive situation, whether it's looking for a job, whether it's what it is. Um, the importance of creating a network, is, 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 that, is that an important? Uh, uh, Absolutely. 
Absolutely. The importance. Um, so many times we feel that we are the only ones in that situation, that we're the only ones that are having that challenge, that, that there, there can't be anyone else that's in this similar situation. So we don't look outside of ourselves to see that we are not alone. We are never alone. We are never alone. Um, we may be unique in the circumstance, but there's always a support network that has experienced something similar, something close, someone that's willing to listen and lend a hand. And we need to remember that we are not alone in the situation and we just need to reach out. Hmm. Sometimes we get stuck, Richard, when we feel we have to know the how. How am I gonna get out of this? And until they have resolved the how, they won't move. Versus saying, I'm, I'm going to make a decision that I'm going to get out of this environment or I want to change in my life. And I'm going to trust that the how is going to show up. Hmm. I know that a lot of people are in that situation now. They have been thrust into that kind of a scenario where now they have to make a choice. Mm -hmm. They really want to because they're scared. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty and I have learned over the years now as uh, doing this program that it isn't about the uncertainty. It's about the, we'll call it the level of uncertainty. Uh, on a scale of one to 10, there's one where it's, we're still uncertain because, you know, there's the changes constantly in the universe. So there is always uncertainty. And then there's 10 where there are major things that are, are, are happening, like what's happening in this country and globally right now, that probably put it close to a 10 of uncertainty. But I will tell you this much, I still love Einstein's comment about insanity, the definition about um, doing the same thing over and over again, different uh, result. And this time we are doing something different. So at the very least, when we come out the other side, it's going to be different. It is. Well, not a whole nother thing, but it will be different. <laughs> uh, so <clears throat> uncertainty is a natural part of life. Uh, are, you, are there ways that you find to uh, cope with it uh, and, and to cope with the different degrees of uncertainty and teach others to do the same? So I totally, you know, I agree with you that there uh, we are experiencing a lot of uncertainty. And we always look for that level of certainty to make us feel secure in here that, you know, everything's going to be okay. And the truth is that everything's going to be okay. Uncertainty, I, I ask him, well, what are you uncertain about? What is it that you're afraid of? And we, I have them articulate that. And then I ask him, well, what's the worst thing that could happen? What's the worst thing that could happen? So that I take them from where they are the worst to 10 and say, is it possible that that really is going to happen? Hmm. Yeah. I think, and of course, I don't want us to have to go to this extreme of saying, well, the worst thing that could happen is I will die. And then I'm free of this uncertainty. Uh, but I, I then think about uh, a passage in the New Testament where Paul says, 
Uh, do not fear the one who can destroy the body, but fear the one who can destroy the soul. Uh, um, I think we, we, we ourselves are the only ones who can really do damage to our soul. Yeah. Uh, but by the same token, yeah, if, if you're freed from this life, I mean, I, you know, and again, I didn't want anybody to, to lose their lives over this virus. But by the same token, there were people who, who got out of here just as this thing started taking off. Okay. So that level of uncertainty is done for them. They don't have to deal with it. You know, thanks a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> same token, the people who are here are, so to speak, left behind. Mm-hmm. I, I remember someone saying to me in a program not long ago, those of us who are here are considered by those on the other side as, as heroes because we chose to be here at this time. believes in reincarnation and so forth. You think, do you think that that's a, a fair assessment that, you know, we are, in a manner of speaking, we're, we're heroes uh, to the rest of the world, spiritually, metaphorically, and so forth, because we are willing to put ourselves in this scenario, in this situation, hoping that, you know, we, we live through it, but also, I mean, from my perspective, I want to be someone who's here to help. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm not a, an epidemiologist. And by the way, did you see how many people in the media became epidemiologists right away? It was amazing how much they, they knew about this whole thing. You know, I'm going, wow, that's incredible. <laughs> I had to, I really did. All these immediate experts about the subject. Um, but let's let's talk a little bit about that in terms of of staying here as opposed to going. And I know that the suicide rate went up. I don't know what. I don't know if it's leveled off or declined or still rising, but there are people who say, ah, no, no, I'm out. I'm out. I'm, this is too much. But for the rest of us saying, no, it hasn't reached out too much stage yet. We're still here. We want to be a light, even if it's just a small flickering light to the rest of the world, that it's going to be okay. I believe it's going to be okay. And I believe that um, we are we are all here for a reason, mm-hmm. and we are here to help make the shift in consciousness. So it's not an accident that we are here, mm-hmm. and it's not an accident that that you, Richard, with your program, is raising the level of spirituality and consciousness. It's not an accident that you're doing that. We were meant to be here at this time to help make that shift and help Mother Earth make that shift. So we yeah. should embrace that, that we are here uh, to make a difference and to love and to shine the light and to help others. I also tell people there are no such thing as coincidences. Uh, oh, yeah. However, there are coincidences. Okay, tell me about that. What does that mean? <laughs> means there are events that coincide they come together and we may not at the moment understand the reason why and that's different from what other people when they talk about coincidence ah there's no such thing as coincidence well 
if you rephrase the word, coinciding events. And there are television programs and movies that have dealt with this subject where they'll start out telling four or five or six different stories that seem totally independent of one another. Mm-hmm. And this program progresses or the movie progresses, they start to converge and converge and converge. And you, you, they never knew each other. I think one of the, one of my favorites was uh, God Friended Me, the television show God Friended Me. Mm-hmm. And in the first episode, uh, he, um, he helps this doctor. And in the next episode, he helps this girl who, of course, becomes a, a close friend and girlfriend even at one point. And the doctor shows up who he had helped before to, to stay alive, who is now alive to help the girl. And again, and, and each one builds on the next, that there is no risk, and it shows the connectedness that we have. Yeah. Your thoughts on our level of connectedness in this world? Right. So I believe that we are all one, and we are absolutely connected. We may not physically see the connection, but spiritually and energetically we are connected absolutely you think um schrodinger is correct that there is only one mind yes it's a collective you know, mind. Mm-hmm. not they don't know that much about the one mind yeah i, I find that fascinating don't you mm-hmm that we're all part of that single, that single mind. But each one of us shares a different part of it, so to speak. I, I, it's, just, it's just extraordinary. The work that you're doing is extraordinary too. Talk to us about uh, the coaching before we wrap things up here. How do someone, do they have to come with you, come to you with a particular maybe goal or... <clears throat> Most of the time they do, Richard. Most of the time I work with entrepreneurs um, in, in the uh, technology fields and project manager because that's my background. And so my, you know, uh, I have a passion for the business, the, the art of business. And so when they come to me, they want to grow their business in a way that resonates with them. They want to find their specific path to growing their business. And usually they want that experience of growing their business to be with ease and grace. And I help them once I get really clear on what it is that where they, where it is that they want to go, then it's about um, understanding what their specific blueprint is. Richard, if you will, I use a tool called human design and I help them understand what their user's guide is so that they understand about themselves, what makes them tick, how they think, how they work with others how they process information. And in that process, they get to know themselves and they better, they are able to tap into them and understand how they can better uh, build a better life and a better business. And it initially comes with, I want to grow my business. And it turns out to be really a lot of internal work that happens in the conversation. So they can work with me one-on-one 
or they can have a specific project and they say, you know, I just want you to help me plan for the next year. And so we'll have what I call a VIP day and they'll spend you know, three to six hours with me and we'll just dive into a specific project or a planning, um, planning a, a, a big vision for themselves and we'll just dive deep into that. Or maybe they love being in a group environment and they can come in with other like-minded women who are all of them looking to grow their business. Well, it sounds like a wonderful opportunity for people, especially those who are maybe starting a business for the first time. In 2008, 2009, when we had that downturn, my first thought was, uh, first of all, how many of the hundreds of thousands of people who lost their jobs hated their jobs? Yeah. So this was actually a blessing in disguise. But then the second thing that I realized too, and I heard the studies, that the number of entrepreneurial businesses that were started following that broke a lot of records in that respect. Well, here we are again in something similar. Yes. And yet we have to do it differently. How, has, how have things changed for you in that regard in terms of coaching people? Because now it's not really practical to have a brick and mortar, is it? Uh, no, it's not. They've, um, we've uh, had to create a new normal, and that normal is uh, being able to be virtual. And it takes a different skill set to connect virtually. There's uh, a higher level of energy, the eye contact, um, how you use your body language. Um, you need to change that when you have those conversations like you and I are having because it does require a different skill set. And we need, and one of the things that it's caused us to do is to pivot. Is okay, so I'm not gonna be able to work with people one-on-one. So how do I make that work for me in a way that's still fun and I'm still making an impact and I'm still helping customers. And so some people have had to add, you know, a new business line. They've had to do more virtually where they never did before. And it's, you know, it's made us think outside the box. Well, it's an exciting time. I saw opportunities as this thing unrolled, uh, rolled out in uh, March and April of 2020, the opportunities that we didn't even know existed yet. And now we, we know a little bit more now, but the opportunities haven't ended. And um, so I, I, it, it, to me, it's thrilling. I mean, who knew I'd be doing a video editing in 2020 i can't you know i didn't i didn't want to have anything to do with video because of the setup time you know i want to be able to sit down in front of the microphone right here and flip the switch and start recording i gotta set the lighting and i gotta have the the proper attire and you know get everything set oh my gosh and then make sure that what's behind me is appropriate to be behind me that i'm not giving away a lot of secrets you know that's a big deal too. So uh, opportunities and uh, uh, clarity is very. Pat, Alva, Craker, I want to thank you so much for sharing this hour with us and your time and your story, as well as the story of Catherine's quest, uh, one woman's uh, journey to elation. I love that word. I'm going to try to incorporate that one into uh, into my vocabulary as well. It's great to chat with you. And I'm hoping one day, one day, that maybe we will be able to do an in-studio or I will do a remote broadcast at your location. Uh, we can do it face-to-face -face once again uh, yes. and have that great opportunity. So thank you again for joining us on the program.
Richard, thank you so much. And I look for that opportunity. Let's set the intention. Yes. That we that it comes together for us easily and effortlessly. And that we're able to make an impact together in a way we never expected. That would be very exciting to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. I have questions for you that I like to ask my guests. You might have addressed them somewhat during the program, but I like to ask them directly. But before I do, I want to remind our listeners that this program is here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Monday morning, 1 a.m. streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. Podcasts are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and other locations that you folks are reposting our interviews to. And thank you for doing that. We're also on YouTube where you can watch the interviews. And um, we hope that you will go to Richard Dugan. That's the channel, if you will. Uh, and look for the guy with the hat. Okay? Not hard to find. Also want to remind you, uh, go to my guest's website. Go to Pat's website, which is Majestic. Love that name. Majesticcoachinggroup.com. And uh, find out more about what she's doing. Pick up a copy of Catherine's Quest as well. And uh, if this resonates with you and you'd like to support us financially, please do so at PayPal on the homepage of richarddugan.com. We'll take any amount. We are grateful for any support you can give us. We'll even take energetic support, okay? I am not opposed to that at all. And please take time to go within during the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s. I'm not going to elaborate any further, but take the time to do that. It doesn't take much, I guarantee you. The final three questions that I have for you, my guests, are first, who is Pat Alva Craker? Pat Alva Craker is a woman that embraces her journey, that lives in the present and lives with intention and has a passion for helping women. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? I want to impact one million women step into their power with ease and grace and create a love, a life and a business that they love. Fantastic. And finally, what is your life's purpose? My purpose is to bring in all my talents, my gifts, my experience into helping women step into their full potential. Once again, Pat Alva Craker, thank you so much for joining us and sharing with us, of course, Catherine's Quest and your story as well. And uh, we look forward to uh, talking with you again in the not too distant future uh, as a feminine catalyst speaker, coach. And uh, we are uh, very excited to uh, have this opportunity. Thank you so much, Richard. I appreciate it. I'm Richard Dugan, and this has been Tell Me Your Story. Thank you for listening and watching. And we hope that you continue to do so uh, on the uh, broadcast, podcast, and videocast. And until our next encounter together, love to love.